Welcome to Project Canary. In today's episode, Crystal and I will be giving you the rundown of this week's updates after our viral D-Day that happened last Monday when everyone went back to school. All right, Crystal, um, let's talk about the newsletter that we just you just released and you worked on. Yeah, so I think probably anybody listening is aware that BC has uh, escalated as we've expected over the last uh, six days. Um, as we've been talking about for the last couple weeks on this podcast, uh, P1 is a nasty variant and we have seen it start to proliferate in BC, unfortunately, to a level that hasn't been seen outside of Brazil. That's um, and it, it it genuinely is right. Like um, mm-hmm. I I've looked into all of this and been interested into this obviously because I'm a, a human at risk. But even like as a researcher and a scientist looking at this, like I'm very nervous about mm-hmm. what the next couple weeks are going to look like for our hospitals, for the staff, um, just kind of how things are gonna are gonna look from here. Because we did see that we got an, a rare update this weekend. Well, sort of update, I'll call it because. Um, we had our two numbers given, which were over a thousand for each day, which are not unexpected. Uh, we have been talking about the fact that there have been no plans to reduce community transmission and the mm-hmm. fact that it is more transmissible. We knew that this was going to happen, right? That if we use the same measures, it could not not grow. That's right. It's more transmissible. Nothing nothing has changed since last year. And in fact, we opened things up recently more. That's right. That's right. Oh, we have these really unprecedented case numbers now, right? Even higher than we were at the peak. We are seeing our active caseload uh, start to kind of take off again. So we're getting into the close to 8,000. We've got 11 almost 12,000 people under self-monitoring, right? So those are people who've had close contact. A big, you know, a sizable portion of those are going to become sick, Mm -hmm. especially with P1. We talked about this a couple episodes that a lot of the household attack rates for these variants, you know, are very high. We're talking 80 to 100%. So if somebody in the household has it, they're going to give it to their family. That's right. So... These are some of the really big things to take notice of and, and things that we have to be thinking about as P1 and the UK variant are taking over. Because this is not a replacement. This is a new pandemic. These variants act differently and act differently in your household. They act differently outside. They act differently in the same settings that we saw them in. Our public health says that they don't act differently because we can use the same measures and that we just have less room for error. I think we can both agree we're saying the same thing, right? Like sh- she's just saying it by yes, you have to be more careful with the way you use those measures. But nothing changed suddenly in people. They're not going to suddenly start using those measures better because the P1 has now taken over. So in reality we've changed nothing. I also find the lack of education around variants and the dangers posed to our public really concerning. Right. Especially the last time she spoke in public, instead of educating our public, instead of how to keep themselves safe and, and really drilling home the message that these variants are essentially a separate pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right. We have our wild type infecting us, but we also have our variants now infecting us. And, and it's a very different profile of people that it's impacting and how it impacts them is very different the symptoms that we're seeing are very different it's just we can't treat it as the same right like it's just essentially like you could get wild type covid or you could get a variant of covid and those are two different things right now Mm -hmm. and the variant covid is very i guess the best way to say it is violent right Mm -hmm. like it's so deadly that I mean you have severe onset of symptoms after exposure to a p1 within six days you know there's doctors saying at day 10 the patients have to be intubated they they yes ha- they, their lungs fail that they need 100 percent oxygen while yeah. intubated typically and the patients are in the age range of 20 to 50 now those yeah. are the most prevalent patients that we're seeing and that includes here in BC. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is part of what I'm 
concerned about is we're not getting and we didn't get hospitalized numbers this weekend we only got critical care mm -hmm. um so i've posed a question in my last newsletter which i'm going to read out now because it's relevant to this okay so there are still clarity concerns regarding the number of those hospitalized and in critical care so we need public health to confirm when a patient is taken off the list of active hospitalization and critical care. So we don't know right now if a patient's taken off that list when they test negative or when they leave the hospital or critical care. Hmm. So imagine if we want to look at how that might be impacting our understanding of the hospitals. So some of us are wondering if they're simply taken off when they are no longer testing positive or they're past that infectious period, not when they're in the hospital. And that's going to, you know, sort of truncate those numbers early, right? It's going to make it look like those numbers are smaller than they are because they're taking people off the list before they've left the hospital. So I don't know if that's being done in BC, but we have had confirmation that that's happening at some places in Ontario. So it's unlikely that we're not going to see at least some of that there. So some of the hospital numbers we've seen lately don't quite add up with what their information they're giving us in terms of deaths and, and changes into critical care. So a lot of us just really want to make sure that we all pay attention to what it's looking like in the hospitals because we have a lot of, you know, critical care nurses, doctors telling us now that we're starting to stretch to capacity, even though that's not necessarily being recognized widespread. Mm -hmm. So it's just really something for us to take notice of and really watch out if there is the um, building of field hospitals. Like at this point, I'm actually wondering why they haven't started implementing that at the Vancouver Convention Center, because we did that last time. We did that in December, 2020 to get ready for things that were coming. Mm -hmm. um, and we haven't seen any movement in BC to prepare for any sort of uh, extra capacity that I'm aware of, which at this point with the numbers we're seeing, I'm a little bit concerned that if we see those numbers rise in the next two, three weeks in hospitals and death, that we're going to have a problem with capacity again. Yeah. Um, to answer your question about the Vancouver Convention Center, I know last year they were starting to stage it just in case. But this mm -hmm. year, it's very odd. They have the Van Gogh exhibit happening right now. Yeah. And the tickets are sold out. So I only assume that the exhibit is still going. It's fully functioning. People have been taking their children there. Um, in groups to see right. the exhibit in an enclosed space. And again, this is the huge disconnect of, of what our BCPHO is ordering, and yet there's no enforcement. I mean, last night I tweeted mm. this, but uh, I yeah. was driving across Lowheed Highway and the major cactus club was filled to the brim inside and outside on their patio. The yeah. parking lot was full. And then down the street, Brown Social House was the same. And then as soon as I tweeted this out, other people responded. Yeah, I drove by North Van and I saw another restaurant. It was full. And, and there then, were some that were quite uh, famously open last night that have made the rounds on Twitter today. Yeah, so we're not going to say the name. But, yeah. uh, I mean, there's, there's footage of people right. eating together in a restaurant. When, listen, until our BCPHO acknowledges that COVID is airborne, until that happens, we're not going to have proper safety measures for anyone, mm -hmm. right? Until they acknowledge that COVID is airborne, and they have yet to say this, okay, we're, we're in big trouble, okay? I'm thinking our hospitals are going to fail by Friday. I mean, there's well, talk I, right now. VGH ICU is already full right yeah, now. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about I'll talk about a quote actually from a doctor here. Um, and hospitals and beds actually. I'll give some information to put some context on it. Um, so it's really important for people to understand that there's only a certain number of ICU beds always, right? So that's the capacity they're talking about. But a certain amount of those beds are already presumed to be taken for normal issues that are going on, whether that's broken bones, heart attacks, flus, all those things. So we have this system in the hospital that we've built that we assume a certain amount of flow so that we have the right amount of resources. So as we have COVID patients taking up the extra ICU beds that would typically be there, we're going to start to see no more capacity for extra things that usually would be there, right? 
So if we start to fill up with too many COVID patients, then there's no more beds. So even if a heart attack comes in, there's no bed. Even if there's a broken bone, there's no bed. So this is, when we're talking about failure of healthcare, it's that. It's that when somebody comes in with COVID or somebody comes in with a heart attack, they're on a bed in the middle of the, on a gurney in the hallway because there's no capacity anymore. And um, once the regular ICU beds become used for COVID beds, you know, real decisions have to be made at that hospital level about who receives care. And we're talking about whether or not your cohort, your age group, is going to benefit more from the other person who may need that hospital equipment, right? right. That, and the, the, and the concern that right make. now is that because we're not building that extra capacity, we're not making the field hospitals like Ontario is doing, those things that if it changes quickly, like we've seen in Brazil, like we've seen in Ontario, like we've seen in Quebec, where it escalates all of a sudden, Mm-hmm. we're really going to be stretched. We might not be able to effectively deal with it. And that means excessive deaths, right? Yes. That means people are going to die that don't need to. That's right. And we're not talking about the unseen LTC elderly that, no. you know, people seem to be so nonchalantly accept as casualties nowadays. But we're talking about parents, my son who has anaphylactic allergies, right? Yes. Like if he, so for example, if the hospital is full up with COVID patients and my son goes into anaphylaxis and I'm, I'm trying to get there in the ambulance, but there's, you know, there's no doctors, right? It's just a simple numbers game. And, and I've talked about this, you know, across Twitter, across the podcast, across my newsletter. This isn't a resource issue about things. This is a resource issue about people. That's right. I mean, to make this as easy to comprehend as possible, like when I taught kindergarten and we taught big, complex, abstract concepts mm-hmm. to, to people, to, to little people, and, and you have to explain it. So let's just imagine this way. In Dr. Dodgeball, what is the objective? If right. the doctors die, and in this case, burn out, Right. Basically, we all die. And this is just one of those rules we know from Dr. Dodgeball from our for collective experiences. Okay, guys, if our doctors and our nurses burn out, it's the same as if someone took out all our doctors and Dr. Dodgeball. Well, and I'll read you I'll read you an experience from a doctor. So this individual, I think, is previously he's a cardiologist in Vancouver um, and I think he was the head of internal medicine at some point there Um, so he stated uh, I think this tweet was yesterday the hospitals have been much busier the last 20 or 72 hours there's been a significant increase in COVID-19 cases among young people that are coming in around day 10 of the initial onset so they are presenting as extremely sick and needing a hundred percent oxygen to stay alive on intubation so many of these individuals are in the 20 to 50 group and don't have comorbidities. The capacity may overflow from the COVID-19 unit as early as Tuesday, April 6th. And that's way ahead of schedule, right? I, I predicted Friday. Now it's saying Tuesday because this P1 is such in Vancouver, a monster. But remember that Fraser and Vancouver have been more hard hit, right? So we're going to yes. see those areas go down first if there's going to be a capacity issue. But those are major areas. That's major mm-hmm. lower mainland. Like, but we like, already have many acute care outbreaks too right now, right? Like right. even in the interior, both Vernon and Jubilee and Kelowna General, which are two main hospitals in this area, mm-hmm. um, are both having a COVID outbreak right now. That's just scary, right? Like, and, and to remind everyone, the hospitals in BC are still on droplet protection right. because BC CDC and our BC PHO, our public health office, will not acknowledge that COVID is airborne. And until they acknowledge the science that is accepted on the rest of this planet about this pandemic and this virus, none of us are safe. And real oh. world, again, real world implications, all the people that need like double masking or like the proper protection, they don't get it until that has been 
you know, put into the workplace plan. So this is why we talk about things like this. It's not to just, you know, be angry about it. It's it's there's real real world implications for many of the workers right now from these policies that are being put out um, and put out in a way that it just does not agree with many other jurisdictions. So like our teachers, our elementary teachers have no protections right now, right? Like students don't have to wear masks. Are they encouraged and supported? Sure. But that means that a basic protection we could have to help our teachers survive is not Mm. there, right? And with this P1, we are putting a lot of teachers at risk and they're not even vaccinated now, right? Like that whole campaign has been put on hold. Yeah, which we just, I think everyone was just notified we're going to put it on hold. So the only teachers that were vaccinated or partially vaccinated were is a Surrey, right. Surrey district. And that's thanks to because of their superintendent, you know, um, Dr. Jordan Tinney. The only reason why they got their shots is because I believe there was some advocacy on his part. You know, yeah, and, I would agree. Right. And and let's be honest. If we had an effective BCTF and teachers union right now. The response would be no one should be working in unsafe conditions until you are properly vaccinated. I would Um, have. Yeah. I mean, again, we came out strongly last episode and that's because I was concerned. And I don't think that we were without concern at this point. Unfortunately, we were calling for it to happen because we didn't want to see these cases that we're seeing. Um. And, you know, but even then, back then, I would have said the same thing that you're saying now. And it's just even more pressing now. Why are teachers not striking? Right. right. Why are educators not walking out of that building at this point, BCTF? Because it is literally life or death. It is life or death. For them. It's it's if you catch it, if you're lucky enough that your immune system beats this, which has which is a killer. I mean, it's taking down our Canucks. These are healthy men in their prime, right? And they are... With access to all sorts of services we will never have access to. And they are sick, sick, sick. They are Mm -hmm. sick. Like, in so much that... They're so sick that our season's done. Well, so let's go back a second and explain what's going on if anybody is not caught up, is that... um, as many have heard, Horgan has been all about keeping hockey open um, and sports and uh, have made us part of the hub program. The Canucks have been hit by the P1 variant and at least 20 players and coaches now have been taken down. Half of the team has tested positive and many family members and other external coaches are now testing positive. Um, so a lot of them are dealing with vomiting, diarrhea, severe uh, dehydration. So a lot of them are on IV lines now. They're they're having quite severe um, outcomes. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah, those are very um, healthy men. And and I'd be surprised, honestly, with how many of them are sick that we don't see at least one or more in the hospital or intubated. And and that is scary. And I wonder if they'll ever tell us that. And I hope they do. I, I hope, hope they, they do. do because it would help a lot of people understand how serious it is, and and a lot of people that wouldn't necessarily trust it coming from us or from public health or other people, they could have a real impact here. They could have a real impact if they're honest about what happened. I would hope they will be transparent about this. Um, and let's just be very clear: when you're intubated, you're not awake. They've put you in a coma, in a medically induced coma, because it's to prevent your natural reaction to reject the tube that's being shoved down your throat. Yeah, because you'll choke on it, you'll gag, you'll do all those sorts of things. So you are already in a medically induced coma because you're in such rough shape that your lungs need help to breathe. Okay, so I want everyone to realize that this is not the fucking flu and I'm sorry I dropped the f-bomb again but I am just so upset that even like look going back in my research up until mid-January there was still debate whether or not this was a flu virus and ignoring the data from the rest of the world and it's just so let's let's be frighteningly clear that the UK is walking that line again right now trying to say that they're going to treat it seasonally and that is 
very concerning for all of us, to be honest, because yeah. again, wherever there is mass amounts of spread, we see more variants arise. And that brings me to another note that I've talked about Manaus before, that city in Brazil where they had 76% infection rate, but they still got hit by the P1 variant. They have a new variant there now. It's a P1A. Yes. A variant of the P1 because there was so much community transmission there that there's now a new variant. And that is terrifying because... And it looks like it might have characteristics of the South African variant that they combined. So they're like a co-variant. And, and and that could very well happen here, right? Because nothing is being I have done. Seen some, I've seen some people indicate that it's less likely here because of how small our population is. But the problem is, is that we're still going to spread it, right? That's like right. we're still going to get any variant that is anywhere and spread it around because of the way that we're um, not dealing with community transmission. So whatever happens in the world is going to come here because of the way we are acting as humans. That's right. And, you know, there's already proof that p1 has now gone into alberta and it's going to spread all the way across our nation we did say remember i think in our first episode we were Mm -hmm. like do we want to come become the p1 hotspot i think we literally said that we're going to seed places and it's what we are now doing we have done we have seeded places because i mean they just shut down whistler but i mean Everywhere I drive, yeah, clearly though, was going on for weeks, weeks, and that's the point, though, right? And spring and break was open. It's, it was really irresponsible, right? Like the P one situation really in Whistler was was something that we clearly need like an investigation on and and information about how and why that wasn't communicated um, and why Whistler wasn't closed down if they knew that that was going on before spring break because we're seeing the effects now, right? Absolutely, we're seeing those effects. But we're seeing and and the damage that it's going to do to our citizens, our country, it's incalculable right now because we don't know what the and it's all dependent on a and we're still not stopping it, right? We're and we're it. and we're weeks behind is we're not seeing right now's numbers. People don't realize that is these thousands are from two to three weeks ago. That's yeah. Like, I don't know how much more seriously to say that. These are two to three weeks ago. And we've had this behavior still going on for two to three weeks with how transmissible P1 has been. I really don't think we have any idea what the impact has been. And I I, I don't say that. I don't say that to... I'm genuinely not saying that to scare Mel. I'm like, I'm so sad. Yeah. And I'm so scared for the people that are about to be impacted by this in the next three weeks because I've been through it myself and so many people have no idea what's coming and we can't do anything about it now and every day that we don't act it gets worse it compounds and we're talking about mass graves you guys we're talking about death panels at Vancouver General Hospital at, you know, RCH, at all our hospitals in BC that is going to run out of ICU capacity or even... And even if we don't, even if we don't run out of capacity, even if we just hit capacity, do we really want to say that that's our goal? That a whole bunch of people in their 20 to 50s just die for the next three months? I know. We've um, just based on the last numbers released on Thursday, they're like 1,400. They didn't give us death counts. No, they're... they're, and, And they've stopped testing now. They stopped like like they, doing they, well, the, yeah they run the out of capacity for variants i think and and That's honestly insane. it's probably so high at this point that it doesn't matter we we actually can't trace it right now i think contact tracing is breaking lost they've lost it because yeah. contact tracing broke last time when we got to about what 10,000 active cases um you know we're we're going to approach that soon if contact tracing isn't getting stretched it's going to be there soon And we are having vaccine delays, which is what I said at the very beginning of this podcast was if we have a vaccine dependent plan and there's one chink in our armor, what happens? Well, it happened. It happened. And it Um, happened to teachers. The Ski Hill people got vaccinated, even though they fed P1 all over this country. Yes. And our teachers didn't get vaccinated. They're not prioritizing our essential workers correctly. 
in Montreal, they started vaccinating parents because of the transmissions related to daycares and schools. That's right. I mean, and in other parts of this country, they're acknowledging airborne. Okay, they're, I want you, everyone in BC that's listening to understand how, in, how negligent our BCPHO is. And I'm going to use the word negligent because they are. The rest of this country, they acknowledge that COVID is airborne. They acknowledge that schools are driving the transmissions and they are recognizing that our teachers and our frontline workers and essential workers need to be vaccinated. They need to be protected. Our partial vaccination plan in BC is garbage. It's not going to ever fix anything. I think she's going to push it too, Mel. She brought up five to six months as a delay in a two press conferences ago. She just kind of like snuck it in there and I I'm the, I don't know there's something about the way that she said it makes me think that she's going to try and push it to five or six months and I think this is the point where we need to really mobilize as citizens and ask what is going on now back to the teachers union mm-hmm. the reason why the teachers have not been action in actionable is because Since they declared a state of emergency in BC, they've been threatening the teachers that because we're in a state of emergency, they're able to throw out our collective agreement. Right. And I've been researching. And according to constitutional and charter rights lawyers, that's complete and completely and categorically false. And teachers are suing in other areas as well. Yes. And teachers should be suing. And actually parents should be suing. Because not only by failing to protect our teachers and therefore failing to protect our, our, our kids, our BC government has, is actually in direct violation of UN conventions of human rights, especially the rights of a child. And especially the four big ones in the UN Convention's rights of a child, they give an ethical and ideological dimension to the convention. Mm -hmm. And it says that the kids, children's rights, there should be no discrimination. Mm -hmm. That the government needs to act in the best interest of the child or children. Children have the right to survival and development. And their views should be respected. None of these are respected by our BC government. Our disabled children and everyone with, that are vulnerable are left right behind. Kids are not, they're not acting in our best kids' interest because they are so vulnerable. Like right now, everything should move to online learning. Teachers spent two months right before they pulled the rug out from everyone and changed it to direct face-to-face teaching in September. Teachers spent a lot of energy moving everything to online. Yeah. Okay. And we, that's what we need to do right now. We need to shut this down. Teachers need to go on a wildcat strike because even though BC has declared a state of emergency, and even if prime minister, Justin Trudeau declares an emergency emergency measures act, our charter of human rights and our civil rights still stand. Yeah. The problem is that lawsuits take a long time. They don't get tossed out. Well, I'm sorry. The whole mission right now is yep. to live. Okay. Exactly. Fuck well, the, the lawsuit. Live. There has to be this separation of like, it's survival at some point, right? Like it's survival right now. People yeah. need to take a stand and say, you know what? I am not partaking in this insanity anymore. You are not looking out for my safety. My life is on the line. And so is my family. I mean, there's that doctor that went on the record today on CTV about mm-hmm. his 40 year old patient. Yeah. And she caught it because her husband had to go to work or face eviction. Right. Yeah. His, he, he was sent to work in a factory that had a known outbreak and he brought it home, got her sick and she died. And the doctor was furious. And my husband and I have had this conversation over the last few days because he works um, as a journeyman mechanic and he's at a shop that's, you know, indoors. And there's a lot of men there that don't necessarily value masks. And, you know, we're having those conversations of whether he should stay home Tuesday until we at least hear the numbers, you know, cause interior is starting to pick up. And like, we, that's the thing is everyone is frustrated and everyone is feeling defeated because we can't even assess our own risk right now. 
I can't even, I don't even know if it's safe for my husband to go to work because I don't even know where the cases are. I don't know where the variants are. I don't know how bad it is in the province. You know, I, I, I'm looking at other jurisdictions and based on where they are, based on where we are, we have to be worse than that. So I don't understand. I just don't understand. And when they, they send this written statement out with no death numbers, no variant numbers, no hospitalization numbers, how much are they valuing us? No, and just, our ability to do risk assessments because like this like, this no is important for my life like yes. that is for my life to make that assessment um and so it's becoming difficult at this point to even make a risk assessment and a lot of people are feeling that and I think a lot of people are starting to think about keeping their kids home and are keeping their kids home which I fully support them in and I think it reduces the classroom sizes and puts teachers in a better position and other educators so people who are you know, able, privileged able to, and yeah. able to do that, um, will do that. Please but do. it still leaves all of these families that can't do that. You know, there's families that won't do that and that's fine. That's a mm -hmm. different situation. I'm not going to address those families. That's not for me to deal with. But then there is this other section of families at school that have no other option. They are financially precarious. They don't have the you know, family support, they don't have the means, they don't have the mental capacity. You, there are so many reasons that people are unable to keep their home kids home right now. And that's also not fair that those kids aren't in a safe situation. No, and it's a complete failure in policy and communication. And even, I would say, dereliction of duty from our members of the BC Public Health Office, because parents shouldn't have to be under so much duress and have to do the types of mental gymnastics that we are forced to do mm. because there's a lack of communication, because there's a lack of information and education coming from our BC Public Health as well, they and, should be. And safety concerns are safety concerns, right? Like as much as parents might not like their kids having to wear a seatbelt, they still have to wear a seatbelt. That's part of the law. So we, you know, we've seen parents express concerns about the mandating of masks, but at the end of the day, there are, they don't have any reasons why they're concerned other than things they've stated, like needing fresh air or increased carbon dioxide, which are demonstrably false. You know, empirical research has shown that masks aren't going to cause issues with that. And a recent human rights tribunal here in BC has pretty much said, like, if you're going to say that you won't wear a mask, you have to have medical documentation. They're not going to accept you saying that you're not going to wear a mask anymore without documentation because it's a safety thing. And I think people really need to understand this at this point is this is not a political thing. This is not a uh, freedom of rights issue. This is not a personal rights issue. I mean, if you feel that way, that's your right to feel. I can't, it's not my job to change your beliefs or, or be responsible for that. Um, but, you know, the science doesn't support that. And we need to go with the science right now. Yes, so it needs to be safety and that is just what we have said in Canada is what happens. We have a charter of rights, but the community benefit supersedes the char charter of rights and it's in there, right? It needs it to we have a right to safety. Yeah, the right <laughs> yeah. to safety supersedes. It's the collective and, and safety. Yeah, collective safety supersedes individual rights in Canada. This is not the United States. We do yeah. not operate the same way. If you don't want to wear a mask in your home, that's fine. But when you're in a public arena around other people that you can literally give them a life or death, you know, issue, you need to be responsible for that. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So there we go. Um, so okay. BCTF and strike, right? Like, why are they not letting them when, again, teachers and we're having this mask conversation because teachers still in elementary school don't even have that basic measure. Basic. And, and when our teachers are in con in contact and conversation with teachers in the United States right now where they're actually, you know, CDC mm. has changed their definition yes. for COVID and are now following the science since Biden's taken administration. Right. Right. Like they're following the silent science. They understand that COVID is airborne. The teachers there, they get their rapid tests. They get right. their, their, their proper PPE. They get yes. even, Proper That's difference, right? And, and there's small studies. Classes. Yes. The studies are there that say that school can be safe. None of us disagree with this. None of us want schools to be closed. But those studies that do show schools are safe and the Biden administration, which says schools are safe and the other places that have opened, 
have very specific measures. They have rapid testing twice a week. They have full PPE for the teachers. They have reduced classroom sizes to 15 kids. They have ventilation and increased things there. Those are mandatory for the schools to be considered safe. That's right. And so my next question is, where the hell did all the money our federal government gave us? They gave billions to to the schools and they said they spent it all on bleach and cleaners when now we know that fomites is not like what Mm -hmm. happened to all this money the federal government billions of dollars they gave it to our provincial government to reduce class sizes well and honestly i've had like several notices from my stepson's school that like they can't provide any more masks because they're going to run out so it's like i don't know because my school certainly doesn't look well funded from what happened yeah well none of the other anything else happening in lower mainland either except for vsb right which they put their foot down and 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 gave some smaller class sizes but i mean the rest of the other urban districts where the majority of our canadians live they don't have smaller class sizes well and right now they are setting up the system so that they're going to make kids withdraw if they don't attend school they're planning for a full return september and essentially threatening parents that are not sure they want to return their kids and like we how is that response we have no idea what september will look like and having this like hubris that we can control covid and control this pandemic in a manner that nobody else has been able to like realistically mel we need to understand what p1 has looked like in brazil because we are now the second in line for p1 and all the effects we've seen globally that we've been talking about with variants have been from the uk variant p1's Mm -hmm. nastier yes So we don't we don't even know what this looks like outside of Brazil right now. We don't know what it looks like when P1 takes over instead of the UK, because for us specifically in BC, I'll agree with Bonnie for once. We have our own pandemic because P1 is increasing at three times the rate versus, you know, the UK, which is twice. So we're going to be P1 more. It's scary. It's not already if not already. And that's the thing. Whoever was exposed when the viral nuke went off on Monday, when <laughs> everyone went back to school, they have already been exposed, right? This there. So, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Next Friday is going to be the ugly week. That's right? right. It's baked in next week. We'll know, right? Next week this, is going to be an ugly week. And this is where we say, you know what, for the love of God and all that is great and holy. Can you please just Emergency Measures Act right now, lock us down four weeks, four to six weeks, okay? Paid leave for everyone. It's going to happen. We're going to end up in a lockdown. Like, whether it's BC or whether it's federal, BC is out of control. It's out of control. Um, I've never been one to want to lock everything down. And that's like the a lot of the, the misconceptions people have about me because I fight for more measures is like people think I want to shut everything down or I want schools to close no I just want these things to be as safe as they can and with p1 we are in a very different position we cannot do the same things that we were doing before that's correct and I just want to um you know whoever's listening and and federal powers understand that you do not need your prevent you don't need the premiers from the provinces to cooperate with you actually Mm. Um, to get an emergency, to have permission, and you have to get the premiers to go along. No, that's categorically false. Because in an emergency situation like this, where it's life or death, I'm sorry, but we do need well, bigger oversight happening. Well, right and now. I would say too that there becomes a place for moral values as well, right? right. Like, and we saw that with Biden, and, and people can get angry about what was going on with the border. He inherited a mess that was already a mess. Um, And he's making a lot of mistakes there, but Mm -hmm. he has released families without court dates. He's releasing people because he, what else is he going to do? It's unprecedented. And when there are unprecedented situations, we need real solutions, new solutions, serious solutions, right? And active and ethical leadership. We Uh, have to understand that we cannot deal with this with the old tools in our toolbox because this this is not something that we have dealt with before. Is it painful to do things in a new way? Yes. Right? Like, 
but people are being successful with other strategies, whether it's Atlantic Canada, whether it's Taiwan, whether it's South Korea, whether it's Australia, whether it's New Zealand, these places are trying and they are succeeding. And if the answer is that we succeed by killing fewer people, even if we don't get to zero, how is that not a better solution than just letting people die? We can't let people die. I think we are, we're... though. Let's be clear. But that's exactly we have. It, it, we have. And every it's death, every death since December when those vaccines were announced was unnecessary. And even the deaths then, which included my grandma, as I'm sure people know, I include those in unnecessary. All of these deaths were unnecessary. But really, since December, right, when we had that yeah. vaccine, this is inexcusable. That, like, how many deaths are they going to come announce on Tuesday, Mel? I don't know. It's, it's I don't scary. know. But whatever it is, guys, when they don't name all of those people's names, because I heard, uh, you know, them try and start to talk about them last time, like humanize them, give them some names, do something, because these are all inexcusable deaths and you just go up there and act like it's nothing. I know from the, the numbers from our last whatever numbers we got, I calculated how many people that is and I tried to place it in something where people, something conceptual. Yeah. And I calculated that the Mount 1,470 lives is roughly four and a half sky trains full of people that have crashed and burned. And mm -hmm. that's exactly how many, because a, a sky train capacity of a full sky train capacity is 334 people. Mm -hmm. We've had like 1,470 die from what they've told us. That's four and a half sky train loads of people crashing and burning. And we're just all like, collectively still doing well, our own thing and going and meh interestingly people will be like well you know some people would have died from flu or things i'm like no because we drove the flu down we would have had all these people survive right. that wouldn't have otherwise how is that not a beautiful thing that we should have appreciated instead of using it as a way to say that these deaths don't count that oh they would have happened this year anyway but we could have prevented them yes right like directly we had a role in that we are you know, and let's talk about those Canucks that they have access to rapid testing and they've had access to rapid testing. They have access to, you know, IV treatments at home. I'm not going to be getting that if I get sick. Mm -mm. And we aren't using our rapid tests. We only used 13,000 between the last week when I checked. So, you know, we're getting even less information, which was something I was concerned about. You know, I brought that up to the Facebook moms when we talked to them that I was really worried coming back from spring break, we were going to start getting less information and it's happening. So I really hope that on Tuesday when they come back out, that they give us an accurate picture of what is going on, which includes how many presumed variants we have, not confirmed, because they have an idea of how much they're looking at. They know how many are being screened. So give us that number of presumed variants. Give us the number of people that are actually in hospital right now with COVID. Not anything about testing. Who's in the hospital right now from COVID? And I don't want another 45-minute podcast about vaccines. Like, come and on. how many deaths? And yeah, let's be real. Her last two conferences, which she even spoke to at the beginning of Thursday, saying, I'm doing it in this new way, is 45 minutes of her answering questions that she selected about vaccines, which eats up the time for actual questions. So now we've had less than 20 minutes, both of the last conferences, and we have been in the worst state that we have been in since the peak of this pandemic. It's really, really irresponsible. And we've been in a complete data blackout with one of the biggest P1 outbreaks in this world. Yeah, it's like they just decided to stop telling like, us what was going to happen. Other provinces and other countries are getting more information about this break outbreak than we are about ourselves. That's right. And we're actually learning about it from other right. news sources, from right. other around the, around know, the planet. American, American news places right now are doing stories with American epidemiologists like Dr. Fielding about the P1 situation. That's right. Because and talking about it, we're we're kept in complete darkness, and it's ridiculous, and it should be completely illegal. This is not ethical leadership. Ethical leadership, it has nothing should have nothing to do about your ego. Well, you know, and, and let's be clear: if if you were saying that you can have like fast data and accurate data, but you can't be transparent, why do we have all these data issues then? And you keep not giving us the information. 
right? right? Why does everything keep breaking down? Because all of a sudden we're not getting the number of the distribution of the cases that are children. It's multiple times in the last week. Yeah, and the and the excuse of oh no, I don't understand exponential. It's hard. No, you cannot simultaneously claim to be the smartest and simultaneously claim to have the dumb. I don't. At the same no, time. And that's the thing is like it, it. You this the excuses are running out for this mm-hmm. public health approach because people can no longer say that we're not seeing this impact. So you know, before it was they were not the numbers weren't there, so they could say these things and it went away. This they can't hide it now because of the testing that we need with the variants. So this changed the game for them. They're no longer able to hide it because they can't drive down testing, even though we're still at like two thirds the rate of the rest of Canada with testing. Right. We're still testing much lower and we have an explosion of variants. The the morgue trucks start pulling Mm -hmm. in and we have piles of bodies happening like they can't hide this. Well, and that's. People need to understand we are already on the exponential growth part, right? Like this is going to go fast and this isn't the same COVID. So people are picturing that that some wave is going to come and then it's just going to go away. With P1, Brazil's still in crisis. It doesn't go away. It's months in. We have to be really careful here or we could go on with a pandemic that doesn't leave us now for a very long time. And so this is your question. You need to ask yourself, do you want to be in lockdown for another two, possibly five to seven more years? Because the more it is seeding and populating and baking in our in our And the vaccines will eventually not be effective, right? That's just statistically probable is that if we continue to allow community transmission across the globe, which we're doing because we're vaccine hoarding, we're not helping the other places out that also need to be getting these things. We, it's just going to keep going. Like these people or the individuals that are feeling really, really restricted or feeling like their individual rights are being restricted. I really call out to you that it will end sooner and we will all get those rights back if we act as a community right now. COVID zero. It's been proven. There's so many papers out there. It's been proven. It's better for us collectively. It's better for the economy. Right. Like if we just take that short term pain, everybody just takes that short term pain. It will get us out faster. And then when it's down, when we drive it down, it's under control in the sense that we don't have to work so hard to find where it is. When we already had 500 cases coming into this, which is what we said, we came into this third wave with so many cases, we can't keep control on it. We were on the precipice and we fell off of it. Tumbling down right now. We are. We're tumbling. We are. We're tumbling in a really right serious now. way. And these variants, this P1, could really, really become something we can't control really soon. So here's what we are asking our listeners to do and to spread the news. Um, if you can, keep your kids home, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. If you, don't if you go can't, home. put them in a mask, please. Double Even mask. if they're in elementary. Yes, put them in a mask. Um, if you are living in shared living space, and this is something that mm-hmm. no one in Canada is talking about, but when I was doing research about how when they were when Japan was just realizing the airborne uh, capacity of this virus, they did studies in Hong Kong and and in Diamond on the Diamond Princess, and they found mm. virus in the air ducts, and that's yeah. how they determined that this virus is airborne. So basically, if you're in shared living accommodations here in Canada, and that includes apartments, condos, if you're renting mm-hmm. the top or bottom of a house. Sorry, guys. Shared air. Shared air. You need to seal your ducts. And that's with poly and with duct tape. And this is not being paranoid, but I mean, you have a virus and it's airborne. So if you have a severely infected person that is in their room for 14 days, coughing and being sick in there. Yeah. yeah, And the virus is being pumped through your air right into your family's air that they're breathing. Yeah, you need to you need to seal those ducts. And, and we have one... seen spread like that, right? Like there's yes. been several counts now in hotels and things where it has in spread hotels. via the that's ventilation right. system. So that's this right. isn't again, as Mel said, that this isn't like some thing being pulled out of nowhere. There ha- there is discrete cases of this being spread through channels like that. 
That's right. And also especially when there's someone who has a high viral load, right? It just takes one person that has a high amount of virus that then can do that very easily. And the virus is also in your feces and excrement. So mm-hmm. if you are in shared the living Chinese feces, anal swabs. Yeah. Well, even yeah. in the building, you need to flush when you flush your toilet, you need to close your lid. And the reason why is because when you flush your toilet, it's an the airborne particles. virus and the particles will come out. Like, guys, I don't know if you know this, but poo never particles. Put your toothbrush out and flush the toilet because the poo particles go on your toothbrush and it goes in your mouth. So this is why, like, you need to close the lid if you're, like, in a building or, or shared. Like, always just close the lid when you're flushing the toilet, especially if there's, like, a super viral thing happening right now in a pandemic at risk too and you have like a spouse working at a job where there might be contact they consider them wearing a mask when they're at home that is something that they recommend in a lot of other areas i know it sounds weird to be wearing a mask in your house but in terms of just trying to minimize the viral spread if your spouse does happen to get exposed to it it can help Mm -hmm, absolutely and and just like with like sars protocol like you are you take your clothes off in a garage in a designated yep. space. That's you what we off. did all of last year, and it's what yep. we're doing again right now. Like my husband and I will probably be sleeping in separate rooms again for a while, just while we wait to see the numbers and things like that. Because the reason that it often spreads to household members, to be clear, and I don't think anybody's ever explained it, is that you share your air with them all the time, right? We sit in the room with them all the time. We're close to them all the time. My husband, I sleep beside him for 10 hours, right? Like we're constantly in their airflow. So that's why it often goes to the other household members. And because P1 has such a, it's more transmissible, you don't have to be around them for as long or you don't have to be around them as close to get it. That's right. The viral load is is not as negligible like you literally minutes with P1. And if you're worried about your home, another way to mitigate the situation, which our BCPHO should be telling you, get an air purifier. An yeah. air purifier will help like like ventilate, ventilate, ventilate. Ventilation is your saving grace right now. Yes. Okay. Masks, ventilate and hygiene. The weather is getting nice, so like open those windows. Be a little chilly, wear a sweater, open your windows. It's it's worth it at this point. And same for, you know, teachers and educators that have to be in the classroom right now, like opening the windows as much as you can and those sorts of things with airflow. But, I mean, at this point, it's so... I would just be like, why are you guys not having a wildcat strike? It's just so sad that people have to do that. In a, it's in a short amount of time, right? With what's going on and like hearing that like Canucks players are, you know, so laid up and getting like at home IVs and that our teachers have to go unvaccinated into this with not any sort of access like that is just, ridiculous. I'm just, yeah, I'm just sad, you know, it's I'm just sad. And that teacher in uh, Ontario, there's rumors he, he passed away. So I saw someone that stated they're um, friends with their family that they've seen them. Um, yeah, state that they did pass away. It was a 47-year-old teacher who had no uh, no pre-existing conditions. Yeah, totally healthy male. Um, this virus is just something completely different, you guys. All right, and just with the UK variant, and we're not talking about the Brazil one, the monster Brazil one we have right now, like 100% household attack rate. And this is where the messaging of PHO is really coming back to haunt us because they spent so long in our province specifically drilling in that young people weren't impacted by it and that they didn't have to worry that now people really, really don't understand mm-hmm. the risk to themselves and to others. And, and because they've been lying, right? Like they, you, kids do get sick. Kids are vectors. It is a danger. Well, and we're know? not, to me, most of the time, we're, we're not worried about kids because we're worried the kid is going to die because most children are not going to die. I'm worried about long COVID first, but I'm worried they're going to give it to their parents and their grandparents, right? Like, this is the problem is that they are vectors that then pass it on. And that's something that right. Quebec and Ontario are now recognizing and trying to deal with by vaccinating parents and teachers and those sorts of things. But something BC is still refusing to acknowledge. Yeah, Texas has COVID orphans because when they experienced like their their variants, mm-hmm. they they found that parents were just dropping, right? And and it's because the kids are bringing it back. 
Well, and again, if you think about viral load, when you're by someone all day, you're mm-hmm. going to get increased exposure. So when we have these people that we spend all day with and the parents are around their kids all the time, they're going to end up, you know, getting an enhanced viral load that they're exposed to as well. That's right. That's right. So we just, you know, like I, we're in a bad place in BC. I don't know that there's any other way to say that. And it's going to get uglier. Mm-hmm. It could get much uglier, to be honest, if we don't, if we continue to do what I've been seeing, which is restaurants refusing orders and staying open, which is, you know, places not necessarily taking the actions that they need to take. It's, it's going to go on for a lot longer and it's going to affect a lot more people. Yeah. And we're going to have, we're going to be seeing mass deaths this week. It's going to start this week. Unless something is done. Because remember, these are not long-term care residents. Not that that Mm-mm. negated their death because Mm-mm. they mattered just as much. But right. these are people from our community. These are people that went for acute care. These are people that are parents. These are, you know, um, workers that are in our community keeping our society going because they've been told they have to and can't get any other means. Those are the people that are dying now. That's right. Our frontline workers. And once our frontline workers are gone... I'm sorry, our, our society is just shut down, right? They're well, the ones how, that are keeping it, everything going right now. Remember that you're also telling all of these healthcare workers and frontline workers that you don't care that you're exposing them to more trauma, that That's you right. don't care that they have to watch another person die, that you don't care that they don't get to hold their kids when they go home at night because they're trying not to share the infection with them, right? Like... Every choice you make is a reflection of that. Yes, and this is very a reflection. You want individual rights and individual decisions, then you have to show you're responsible for them. If we can't be responsible as a society, then we don't get that option. And I think we're at that place we've shown we are not. No, we need an emergency measures act right now to save ourselves. Yes. Right now, I strongly recommend our audience and listeners to shelter in place. Yep. Essentials only. Double mask. Get tested, mask, please, if you have any tested. concern. Lie if, if they, you need to. Yeah, I'm, I'm at that point where, yeah, if they try and say that you can't, like, lie, tell them that you have the symptom that you need to get the test because everywhere else has access to testing like this. I mean, the U.S. has three different tests you can order at home. Like new, like Nova Scotia has like commercials about going in for testing just to make sure. So it's your right to get I tested. I don't feel bad right now to say lie to get tested. No, it's your right to get tested, and it's your right to Presuming strike. You have real concern, and you're not trying That's to, right. you know, use resources or something. But for teachers and yeah, educators, like I'm horrified. I support everything that they do. I wish that they walked out. I support them if they walk out. I don't know what else to say other than I'm just sorry. I think of you every day. We're sorry. It's just such a failure leadership. It's so disappointing. And, and I hate being right. Right. Like we don't don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. The thing is like, I don't, I don't want to be right about people dying. I don't want to be right about thousand cases a day. I don't want to be right about P1, but look at the Canucks. I'm sorry, but we warned you. We warned you, and now we've lost our team, and half of them could have. And what if one of them dies? Yeah, or career and career-ending long yeah. COVID, right? And that's, we saw that's that in Brazil. We saw yeah. athletes that were taken down that had extensive lung damage. Like these are real people. This is no longer an abstract concept. And I hope the Canucks. Me. I hope the example of the Canucks brings more people into the light in terms of understanding how serious it can be. But how upsetting is it that it takes like one of our athletes for our, our, our government to give a crap about people's health and safety? Like, come on. It shouldn't have taken it for the world to wake up to what's no. going on in BC. But at the end of the day, we need the eyes on BC. So I will take anything I can get at the moment. And I think with that, we'll just end this podcast and, and um, come back midweek with an update, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I think we're going to have some guests with us in our next upcoming podcasts. I know Andrea and Kathy will be joining us next weekend. I also know that 
BC school COVID tracker had to just call it a night. I think it was a Friday night that had up to 47 mm -hmm. exposure notices just from four days of school. Yeah. Right. And like, I, I think it's in the 60s from the weekend so far. So it's 60. So even Kathy and Andrew are asking parents to keep their kids home now. Like they're yeah. pulling their own children out of school. I know yeah. this for a fact. Yep. And there are many doctors, there are reporters, there are many individuals that are keeping their kids home right now. But again, it's a privilege. It's privilege. And the government is putting people in a position that don't have that privilege to choose destitution or... Death, you know, possible death. Death, yeah. Like and, putting and their that children at risk. And that, that's so unacceptable to put anybody in that position. Mm -mm. So stay safe. Please stay safe, everyone. We'll Take talk care to you later. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys later.